You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Joining me for our Monday show, I've got Rob Rang joining me. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Corbin, as always. And obviously, the two of us are going to be discussing the Seahawks dropping their first preseason game of the year. Obviously, just a preseason contest, so wins, losses, not a big deal. But a 25-19 defeat in Minnesota. The Seahawks fall to the Vikings. Really a pretty sloppy game, but still some good stuff that we can take away as well. So we'll be discussing the game over the next several days, including some key takeaways today. We'll start off today's show. Rob and I will be discussing a trend in Seattle that is becoming a bit disheartening. Top picks struggling to stay healthy, and that's especially evident this season for whatever reason. In the second quarter, as we do each and every week, it's time for our Monday mailbag, and we'll answer your Seahawks at NFL questions, and then we'll wrap up the show with some of our key takeaways from yesterday's loss in Minnesota. Fantasy football players, make sure you listen to Vinny Iyer and the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Don't listen to the same stuff as everyone else, then you are the same. Get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long. The Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast on your favorite podcast provider. So, Rob, I, I don't like throwing this word out there, but you know maybe calling it a curse isn't appropriate yet. Uh, but the Seahawks simply cannot keep their high draft picks healthy the last three or four years, and that trend has continued into this season. Yeah, it is an unfortunate trend. <clears throat> I don't know if I would if I would call it a curse. Like with some of the other clubs out there. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers are another team that immediately comes to mind as having had a number of their highly uh, drafted players that have gone down to injuries, San Francisco 49ers, and that's just the West Coast. So I think that every NFL team out there feels like their players um, suffer from an inordinate a number of injuries at this point in, t- uh, at this point in the season. That, that's just the unfortunate reality of this very incredibly physical game uh, they're playing, as well as the fact that the teams are doing just a much better job of of uh, of recognizing when their players are a little bit injured or nicked up and and pulling them off and, and getting them some time away um, or in the case of DK Metcalf perhaps a a, a procedure um, if that be the case rather than allowing it to to develop into a much bigger issue so um, while it is certainly concerning um, for the Seahawks that their their top three draft picks. Um, and, and, and several others um, have, have been on the pup list to this point when the guard Phil Haynes defensive tackle Demarcus Christmas um, you know right basically half of your of your 11 man draft class is out with injuries at this point at the same time I also feel confident that the majority of them are going to be on the NFL field for the Seahawks um, if they make this roster in September and, and so I think that Seattle again is while it's a little disconcerting at the same time it's not the uh, the sky is falling that, that some are making it out to be. Yeah, you already mentioned DK Metcalf. This really stunned everybody yesterday. He traveled with the team, and then he was not in uniform while they were warming up. And John Schneider indicated on ESPN 710 that he was going to be held out with a sore leg for precautionary reasons. So, okay, that happens. You'll see teams do that. It's a preseason game. Doesn't count in the standings. Not a big deal. Even for a rookie that could use some snaps, not a big deal. They're expecting him to be a big-time contributor. Then, after the game, Pete Carroll drops the bombshell that 
his knee and needs to have a minor procedure done. And we know Carol is extremely optimistic about basically everything. So you have to take, <laughs> take his words sometimes with a grain of salt, but he's optimistic. Metcalf will be able to return for week one. He wouldn't delve into the specifics of the injury and he's not required to do that, but certainly that caught people off guard, especially with the fact that Marquise Blair was carted off the sideline yesterday with a back injury. Luckily that sounds like it's not super severe. Back spasms can be something that linger for a bit, but could have been much worse given the fact that he was carted off for this issue, didn't play the rest of the second half. So you already got LJ Collier recovering from an ankle sprain. Now you've got Metcalf potentially out into the start of the regular season. We'll see after his surgery tomorrow uh, what the update is on timetables and things of that nature. But they could potentially have at least one or two of those uh, first three picks not on the field in uniform against the Bengals on September 8th, and that's never the ideal situation. No, certainly not. I mean, I think there's a possibility that none of, the, none of them are, are available for the Bengals game, and that, that certainly is a, is a frightening proposition um, for the Seahawks because I think that we are all expecting there to be such a huge uh, contribution from this year's rookie class. At least that's been the expectation to this point, but... At the same time, I think that it is key to uh, to remember just how good that, that Seattle starters looked, um, you know, in, early on in this game, um, and that uh, again, I, I think that it's important to remember that that some of these injuries, I think, are are more flare ups than actual huge issues that normally would would require surgery or things of that nature. Again, I think it's just a it's a testament to the new technology that the teams are able to recognize issues, take care of them quickly, so that way they're able to get their players onto the field in in an expedient fashion you're seeing this with all the preseason games too and just teams have learned as well a lot of teams now have certain starters that don't play at all throughout the preseason they just don't see it worth the risk they feel they can get better reps you're seeing a lot more teams doing uh, practices with other teams and that's how they're getting their reps the Seahawks have had issues keeping their first second third round picks healthy for several years back in 2016 First-round pick Jermaine Effetti suffered an ankle injury in the preseason. He missed the first three regular season games. Then in 2017, we know the entire Malik McDowell saga, and he ended up never playing it down for the Seahawks. And then last year, Rashad Penny, he fractured his pointer finger doing a pass rush, uh, pass protecting drill, and he ended up having surgery. It was minor, but he missed the rest of the preseason, and that ended up setting him back. And we know the rest of the story. It took him half a season to really get going. Had a couple of really nice games middle of the season, but it really set him behind the eight ball. So now you've got all those top three picks they had from April that uh, potentially could be out to start the season. It's just a trend of the Seahawks that can't be too happy about. But as you mentioned, this is an extremely physical game. So I don't really think it's that big of a concern at this point because, as you mentioned, I don't think any of these injuries are super significant. Obviously, Metcalf having surgery is always a big deal. There's no such thing as a minor operation. But at the same time, it does sound like it's just a cleanup uh, surgery of some sort. So I wouldn't get too caught up at the other two guys. If it's just back spasms, Blair should be okay. Collier, Carroll seems to make it seem like he's really close to returning. He's making good progress. So it stinks. You don't get to see those guys in preseason games. Those reps are really valuable to rookies. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's preseason. It, holding them out now so that you can get them back for games that really matter really is what teams need to emphasize this time of year. 
No, it, it certainly is. But I, I thought that you did a great job there, Corbin, because you by by mentioning um, what was Rashad Penny last year and just kind of talking about just what a, how much of a bump in the road that that injury was to his hand and how that did kind of put him a little bit off course this year uh, or, or a year ago, excuse me. I, I think that's a really good point because especially when you think about these three players that are suffering the injuries uh, for the Seahawks at this point, at least the first three drafted players, we all know that DK Metcalf struggled with injuries throughout his career at Ole Miss. That's one of the reasons why it is such a concern at this point. But with with Marquise Blair, a junior, or excuse me, a Juco player um, who transferred several times throughout his college career, and it really didn't stick it in any one program for more than a couple of seasons. Um, and then with LJ Collier, essentially a one-year starter at TCU, I, I think that you can make a point, um, kind of piggybacking off of your earlier point with Rashad Penny, that, that these players are especially in need of a little bit more fine tuning, and so the, while I while I would argue, and, and and you've argued as well a little bit that that you know we, maybe we should you know not throw caution to the wind. These are obviously important things. Anytime any surgery is important, as you just said. And at the same time, I think that it is important to kind of keep in, in, in perspective that these players and, and their individual cases, why it is a little bit more alarming than perhaps some of the other things that are going on around the other NFL teams. Coming up, we're going to open up our mailbag. It's Monday. We're going to do the best we can to answer as many of your pressing Seahawk and NFL questions as we can. Before we move forward, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go and you could increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. We'll be right back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, alongside Rob Rang. Later in the show, we're going to be breaking down yesterday's loss in Minnesota. Some general observations today. We'll dive a little deeper tomorrow on the podcast. But first, it's time to tackle some questions from our Monday mailbag Emilica Jerome tweets, and this one's for Rob. Do you see Jamie Meter as a one or a three technique? He looked good last night. I like him best as a one uh, on the nose. Um, as a three technique, generally speaking, you're looking for a guy who's got a little bit more quick twitch, a little bit more pass rush. Jamie Meter um, is, is the, your classic run stuffer. I mean, I think he's got two career sacks in his NFL uh, over his over several seasons. Uh, what is it? Four seasons, I believe, that he's been in the NFL. Was originally undrafted free agent 
out of Ashland College. Uh, again, by Baltimore Ravens, a 3-4 club that wanted him on the nose being that big run stuffer. That's the role that he fits in best, and and that's the role that I think that, that he has a chance to make in this roster. I mean, he had a, a splashy performance, um, I, I thought, uh, uh, last night against Minnesota. Yeah, he, re- he played really well. He had one of the best plays in the game where he just – uh, ripped, shredded off a block, and then got in the backfield, made a tackle for loss, and uh, forget exactly uh, they were near the the Vikings were driving, they were deep in Seattle territory, so it came at a big time. Uh, but certainly he needed some splash plays, and he had a few of them last night. That should help him as he tries to position himself to make the team. Ryan Minson tweets: Why does it seem like from the things we hear from training camp about how good the competition is for backup roles? that the game tape for the preseason is a different story. I don't know that this is necessarily completely true. There there are some competitions that have been really good at practice that have looked good in both games so far. I, I would say the defensive tackle position, for example, like Rob just mentioned with Meter, we're continuing to see different guys step up there. So that battle to be third and fourth on the depth chart there, certainly can, it seems like it's heating up and we've seen intense competition there in practice. Slot corner the first game, all four guys competing for that position, did some really good things. Last night was a much tougher night for them, but overall, those four players have really stepped up to the plate, and that's why it's still up for grabs. So I don't really think that it's an exaggeration what these guys are doing at practice, and again, you don't want to put too much stock into preseason games too. They matter, but it's also just one night. Guys can have off nights. If you have a player that is consistently doing well at practice, then they aren't completely in their A game in a preseason game. If I was a head coach, I don't put too much stock. It, it matters, but I really care about how well that player has been picking things up and how well he's been playing at practice. That really matters in a situation like that. Jaden Bennett tweets, For Rob here, in your opinion, which position or positions are the Seahawks most screwed if the starters take an injury hit? And and made sure Jaden added here, excluding quarterback, because we know that would be number one on this list. But which position or positions do you think would be in the toughest spot if starters got hurt? It's a great question. I think that, uh, you know, again, obviously quarterback position goes without saying. Um, but I, I would say the defensive end. I mean, you you, you basically the, the Seahawks have decided that Ziggy Ansah is going to be their guy. Um, if he is not their guy, if he is not the, the 8 to 10 to 12 sack kind of a absolute difference maker that he is being paid to be, then, then yeah, then I think that there's going to be a significant drop off, and that that guy could be a Barkevius Mingo, it could be a Jacob Martin, um, it, it could be another edge rusher who's able to get you some sacks. He's just not going to be able to hold up and run support because those are much smaller players, 230, 240 pounds. They're not going to be able to hold up the run support the way that a, a 280 pound Ziggy Ansah with those really long arms, that terrific natural strength, is going to be able to provide. So I would argue that is the the role that is the position that the Seahawks remain most vulnerable. Depth's already hurting there with some of the guys that are out of the lineup. So I completely agree with you there. That would be next in line, right behind the quarterback position. And some would argue maybe linebacker, but the Seahawks, you don't want to lose Bobby Wagner, obviously, but Cody Barton looks like he's got a lot of upside. So maybe depth is a little better there than it's been in the past. Open your eyes, right? Do you think Ugo Amadi should get snaps at starting nickel? He really jumps off the screen. He absolutely does. The, the tackle that he had in punt coverage last night was picture 
perfect. I think the NFL needs to take that clip and they need to send it to every team. It needs to be passed down to colleges and the NFL. That is how you tackle and and still hit somebody hard and still have great technique and take the head out of the play. As far as playing nickel, I think he's got to get an opportunity this next game because I don't really think, and I'll talk about this more later in the show, I don't really think any of the other competitors trying to replace Justin Coleman did anything to solidify their standing as a potential starter last night. It was kind of a rough night for the other three players. I thought Amadi played well uh, playing a lot of safety last night, but I'm interested to see if the Seahawks will give him more opportunities now at the nickel corner spot because nobody Nobody else that's in this competition really took advantage and capitalized on their opportunity in Minnesota. Trent Blanche writes, how big of a factor do you think the strength and conditioning coach has on our injuries? This is a really interesting question, Rob, because the Seahawks just completely overhauled their strength and conditioning staff. Yeah, it is an interesting question, and it's unfortunately not one that I can provide a lot of analysis at this point, um, you know, because we do have such a small window here, um, and, and as you mentioned, Corbin, there has been that transition. Um, to me, the, when I look at these injuries, these are the types of injuries that uh, occur in just about every camp throughout all of the NFL. Uh, we're having ankle sprains. We're having, you know, back spasms and things of that nature, concussion protocol. Um, you know, so the, these are the types of injuries, again, that I don't think a, a change in, in, in sports science, a change in trainers, a change in any of that is going to have an effect. Um, and, and frankly, I, I think that kind of counter to what we had argued before with Elise Seattle's rookies, I think that their, their players in general, their veterans, have done a pretty remarkable job uh, in recent years. I think that's one of the reasons why we we've seen the Seahawks have the success that they've had in the win column is because of the team's relative health. Going to our last question here in our mailbag for today, and this one, (laughs) you know, Rob, maybe you can have some input on this too, but I have a feeling I might uh, make this a venting session of sorts here on the Locked On Seahawks. Neon Stars writes, how do you feel about Rashad Penny's development? So I'm going to start off right here. This is something that has, you know, it's really been eating at me because if you rewatch the game, and, and I this is before I even watched the second time this morning, Rashad Penny, every time he was touching the ball yesterday, it felt like at least one defender was already in the backfield. I, I so, don't know how you can evaluate a player under those circumstances. The one time that he had just a teeny bit of space to work with, he picked up 14 yards on a screen. So... I I just find it hard to believe. Obviously, fans are going to come after a first-round pick that underachieved last year. I get that. I understand that. But I don't know how you can make an argument when you've got third- and fourth-string offensive linemen playing in front of him that were missing blocks. I mean, you had blitzers coming through completely untouched last night, and there was one that Penny lost seven yards on. So, obviously, that's going to completely destroy your statistics, and people are going to come out and say, oh my gosh, he had negative two rushing yards, and normally I'd say, yes, that that's a really big red flag there, but if you watch the film, I don't know how you can know anything about his development. The couple practices I've been at, he has looked like lightning in a bottle. He's been really impressive. You can see the athleticism, you know, the hands out of the backfield. He's made some nice catches already here in the preseason. I just think people are being way too harsh right now on a player, and you could say this for Paxton Lynch last night. He missed a few throws, but 
the pass protection broke down in front of him almost every time he dropped back to throw. And then he had a couple really nice scrambles that got called back by holding penalties. So it just seemed like none of the skill guys could really get anything going. And I don't want to put all the blame on the offensive line here. Certainly Penny's got to have a little more urgency as a runner. He had one run that maybe he missed a cutback lane on, but still, I don't think he would have gotten much yardage on. I just think Maybe you need to see what he can do with the actual starting line here in this third preseason game. You know what Chris Carson can do. I would just like to see where Penny's at when he's actually got some decent blockers. No offense to that line that was in front of him, but you had some guys there that are not going to be here in a couple weeks, and it put him and Lynch in a really bad spot. No, it it made evaluating either one of them <clears throat> pretty difficult. Um, the reality is, is that this was it was as expected. I mean, we, we talked about this, you know, heading into the game, Corbin, that that the Minnesota's defense w- was going to be very physical. Um, they are at home, of course, and they're that much more physical at home. Um, <clears throat> and and this is a team that um, I think we can see that there is a very clear cut gap between the the first team Seattle offensive line and the second team. And we've talked before about the fact that I'm very high on on Seattle's young tackles, Jamarco Jones. But when Jamarco Jones didn't play, and then uh, you know, and unfortunately with, with Fant being George Fant being injured, um, that that depth has been basically cut in half. And Phil um, they, Haynes, too. Phil Haynes, Jordan Simmons, those guys didn't play last night either. Exactly. And so um, so what was a, a strength of, of C- you know, Seattle's offensive line was, was suddenly turned into a weakness. And, and, and unfortunately, Rashad Penny, I thought, was uh, one of the, the bigger losers because of that. Um, as, as you said, Corbin, when I've been in training camp, I thought that Rashad Penny has looked dynamite. Um, I, I was a fan of his selection. I continue to be a fan. I think that he is in the unfortunate situation in that he is uh, was drafted in the first round pick uh, by a team that uses its first round picks the way it wants to use their te- their their selections rather than the way that the media wants to use their selections. Um, and then he w- played, I thought, fairly well as a rookie. Unfortunately for him, Chris Carson played that much better, and and he has the physical running style that the Pete Carroll's always preferred. So I think that Seattle continues to have w- one of the best two headed monsters. You can make the argument maybe even a three or four headed monster running back, but one of the best running games in all of the NFL, and that is step number one to the success that Seattle has had in the past with Pete Carroll and the Pete Carroll has had in in the past, you know, different teams throughout his uh, his history, and that Rashad Penny I think is going to be just fine. Uh, I just don't know that he's ever going to become that 1,500-yard rusher and, and pro bowler that some believe you have to be to warrant this being selected in the first round at the running back position. And I would argue that the teams that that complement their players and put them in positions to succeed are the ones who win, and that's what, exactly what Seattle is doing with Penny, with Carson, and the rest of their, their rushing attack. Like I said, I, I understand him being a first-round pick, and you you referenced it. There's expectations that fans have, and, and I thought he was going to do better than he did last year. So I do think he underachieved. That injury certainly set him back in the preseason, and and he, it took him a while to really get going. And then you started to see flashes of his talent in the middle of the season. But I just think, you know, I'm going to use some terminology here that tells you we're in 2019. But these tweeters out there that are carrying their angry, uh, flaming uh, pitchforks, <laughs> the torches and all that stuff, those people that are coming out, I don't understand why you would be coming after Penny after last night, if you actually were paying any attention to how the plays unfolded, I mean, like I said, that seven-yard loss in the backfield, he hadn't even secured the handoff completely yet. 
and he got hit by a blitzer. So I, you just you can't evaluate a running back under those circumstances. And what about the receivers? They weren't getting opportunities on the outside because Paxton Lynch didn't have time most of the time to scan the field. So again, the offensive line, I don't want to put all the blame on them, but certainly it made it really difficult to evaluate Penny. And I think until you see him behind that first line, it's really you really have no business saying this is where he's at. I don't know how you can tell right now based on last night's performance. When you return, the Seahawks dropped their second preseason game in Minnesota, and boy, was it ugly at times. Rob and I will discuss some initial thoughts from the contest, who stood out, how did position battles shake out. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Monday show, NFL draft guru Rob Rang. The new Locked On NFL podcast is on fire. Last week, it was one of the most listened to NFL podcasts out there with the expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson and hosted by Brian Peacock. Locked On NFL is your daily national podcast for all things NFL with Matt's unique take on the game. Follow Locked On NFL on your favorite podcast provider. Seattle dropped its second preseason game last night, 25-19 to the Vikings, much sloppier than last week's win over the Broncos, and really just a more typical preseason affair, what you would expect this time of year. The Seahawks, they were only 4-for-12 on third down. The Vikings were 11-for-18. That's a pretty big discrepancy, and that partially explains why the Vikings racked up over 400 yards of total offense, and the Seahawks had just 221. Yuck. <laughs> That's a beautiful way of describing it. And it's, you know, but I, I think that part of it is a, is a testament to the talent that the Minnesota Vikings have. Um, you know, we talked about that heading into the game. Um, this is a, this is a gifted defense, um, especially. And, uh, uh, and they have a lot of pro bowlers on the offensive side of the football as well. Um, so it, it was a formidable matchup. But at the same time, I also think that the, the Brian Schottenheimer, especially on the offensive side of the football, I think that that he played his cards pretty close to his vest. Um, you know, the, the fact that his, you know, arguably most dynamic weapon on offense in DK Metcalf just a couple hours before the game, you know, the, the team, uh, at least it sounds like the team determined that that is when they decided that Metcalf was not going to be able to play. Um, and, and so, I, I, you know, to me, one of the, the real standouts, I, I mentioned a couple of players that I really wanted to focus in on. I, I wanted to see what Puna Ford could do, you know, and we saw what Puna Ford could do, obviously. Uh, and that was that was special. And it, it was in, in some ways it was to be expected going against a rookie center. Um, but at the same time, I also wanted to see what what Seattle would be able to do with the new tight end, Jacob Hollister. We talked about that. And Hollister was the only tight end that Seattle even targeted in this game. They targeted him once. They targeted their tight ends just one time. Minnesota targeted their tight ends ten times, including for a touchdown. And so, to me, that was one of the, the real changes in this game that I think is indicative of the fact that Seattle will do it something a little bit different. If this was on a neutral field, if this was in Seattle, then they wouldn't be keeping those tight ends to block against those edge rushers. Um, and then, again, if they had some of their, their big-time playmakers on the outside, if they were playing Russell Wilson for the entire game, then I think that those offensive numbers would have been much, much, much more impressive. 
Yeah, I was surprised how, like you said, just one time targeting a tight end. I thought maybe Hollister would be a little more involved, but it kind of goes back to what I mentioned in the second quarter. Once you had Russell Wilson out of the game, the starting unit looked pretty good. They they yeah. were the all, the ball was flowing well. They they weren't able to get any touchdowns, but you had a field goal the second drive. Russell Wilson goes six for nine, eighty two yards, several nice throws. He and Jerron Brown looked really good and in sync. So anybody that's wondering if Jerron Brown standing with the team is in flux, well, uh, I think you can drop that. This guy is going to be one of their top receivers this year, as they've been saying all along. Uh, that was not a smokescreen. He's going to be a big part of that offense. But going back to the idea that I was originally on here once Wilson left and then you had your backup offensive line come in Paxton Lynch missed a few throws but I think this was more on the fact he just didn't have time a lot of the time he was just trying to evade pass rushers and and like you said that goes back the Vikings have great depth along their defensive line and and they're aggressive they're going to bring some extra rushers occasionally they'll blitz and maybe not as much as normal last night but they still did a few times and because of that they weren't able to really get that passing game going with their reserves very limited opportunities. Jazz Ferguson got some targets late in the game, but you had a sequence there, middle of the second quarter, up till the beginning of the fourth quarter, where there were very few throws downfield that were even attempted because the Seahawks were in a, either they were falling behind the sticks by penalties or sacks or Rashad Penny getting decked seven yards in the backfield. Like I mentioned a few weeks ago, <laughs> they just couldn't get anything going offensively. It put them behind the sticks and then that limited the opportunities for your receivers and your running backs and stuff to be able to make a positive impression. So I, I'm not going to say that this was a rough game for Hollister because quite frankly, and even those receivers, I don't want to bash them because they may have been getting open, but Paxton Lynch didn't have time necessarily to be able to get the football to guys downfield, and the offense was just in shambles once Russell Wilson came out of the game. The second unit just did not look good. The thing that I was really curious about going into this game, Rob, I wanted to see how that slot corner race ended up shaking out with four contenders there, and I'm going to be honest, I really think right now the you know the three veterans that are competing for that position i don't think any of those three guys did anything to help their cause winning this job last night and and i don't want to bash players on this show that's something i don't typically do and i don't even know if i'm bashing i'm just being honest here i thought akeem king really hurt himself last night especially in the fourth quarter laquan treadwell was just burning him he was creating separation with ease King gave up a 16-yard reception, a 17-yard reception. Then he stumbled and grabbed onto Treadwell when he was trying to reach up and catch a pass inside the red zone, gets a defensive pass interference. This was all on one drive, and that's really concerning to me. You're talking about a player that is in a you know a dead-heat battle. He was atop the depth chart to open training camp. <clears throat> Played pretty well last week, but... That's a drive that's certainly not going to help his cause. Jamar Taylor gave up a touchdown, had a couple other plays. He didn't look very good yesterday. And Kalen Reed only played six snaps. So it's really hard for me to say any of those guys really created any separation. And it goes back to the mailbag question. Maybe it's time Ugo Amadi gets an extended opportunity in this third game against the Chargers. You've got a number of other guys you can play at safety. I know you want to look at him there too, but... I think after this game, you've got to take a more extended look at Amani, just with how well he's handled everything else. See what you've got in this kid. Yeah, I think that Ugo Amadi absolutely has has played well enough to earn extra opportunities, whether it be nickel, safety, punt returner, regardless. I mean, he played all over the field. 
um, you know, as he has throughout his, his college career at Oregon. And I think it's interesting you mentioned Akeem King, Corbin. I mean, I, I had a little bit of time to, to kind of, you know, rewatch the game and, and really try to pay attention to special teams as well. And Akeem King started off on special teams. Um, he started this game on special teams for the, for the Seahawks. He, he saw time on kickoff, on punt return, and on punt team. And it was interesting that when he was uh, playing a lot more on defense and had to get some substituted on special teams that it was Ugo Amadi who wound up replacing him on kickoff and, and on the punt team and then obviously later on as a punt returner uh, Amadi uh, performing as a punt returner as well of course so to me that, that's interesting because it could come down to those two players um, I thought that, that the veteran Jamar Taylor at least the most veteran of the bunch I thought that he had a better game um, than, than, than maybe he than maybe it appeared he was beaten on the touchdown um, to, to Minnesota's slot receiver he's got a, a name that i am not even going to try and pronounce but anyways he they they, they actually I, I couldn't believe it they called a penalty on on taylor and said hands to the face and then i tweeted you, you this tweeted out. this yesterday yeah i noticed yeah. that too that it, maybe the illegal contact was called on the wrong player <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm not trying to complain about preseason penalties i just thought that, that I, to me taylor has always been a solid player he's been a starter in the nfl fell for years uh or you know for the cleveland obviously it's the cleveland browns but at the same time a, a good physical defense um even when cleveland's at its worst they still played physical defense and uh, he's a guy that he's, he's played inside he's played outside i like the physicality uh to me this is i, I think that it is between uh in those two, I, I think that I think that you know Akeem King is a solid player, um, and I like Kalen Reed as well. Um, but at the same time, to me, it's Jamar Taylor, and then I'm really fascinated with Ugo Amadi. And if he continues to play at the high level that he has, then I think that you have to consider the young the youngster. But at the same time, I think that Jamar Taylor has put a, a solid foot forward uh, throughout this entire process. Yeah, well, if, if you're really taking account for practices. Taylor's been the one that has stood out to me the few practices that I've been at it and there's been other practices I wasn't able to attend that I've seen other writers commenting Jamar Taylor's having a great day deflecting passes got an interception so that is something to account for too he has consistently been good throughout this entire process he's played really well in the practice field and did make some nice plays in both these games certainly that penalty could have been waved off or called on the other player but like you said it's the preseason things happen the refs are getting back into the season as well and there's all these different rule changes that they're dealing with I want to talk special teams here real quick as another observation to close out the show for me because in today's era obviously you know kickers are booting the football out of the end zone most of the time so you don't see near as many kickoff returns to begin with but the Seahawks would certainly like to move away from Tyler Lockett I was pretty impressed with how Terry Wright looked yesterday he had one that he bobbled and then he still if he wouldn't have tripped himself up I looked back at a film and I'm thinking he could have had big yardage on this return. And then he had another one he took back for 41 yards. This is a guy with legitimate track speed and you can see it when he's out there returning kicks. So maybe that's a guy we haven't talked about very much in this show that with special teams being a factor these last couple games, maybe he's somebody that we should have circled a little bit now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I wrote about him on the Seahawks on Maven site um, as one of the five rookies that I thought stood out in this game, and I was not expecting to say that with Wright, um, who I thought was very much on the outside looking in, and perhaps still is, um, in, in that very tightly contested, contested receiving core. But, um, you know, we've talked about it. it the more you can do, the better you are, and 
as, as a special teams guy and as a return guy, that that speed, that that vision, um, the, the agility, it, it was impressive. And he, he ran some good routes as well. Um, so he he is one to absolutely keep in mind as well. I thought that he he needed a, 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 he needed to make some splashy plays, and I thought that he was able to do so. And at the same time, because that it didn't result in touchdowns, that's the kind of thing that that the the and the, the Seahawks and and their scouts are going to notice, but that the average fan or media member uh, may not. Yeah, surprisingly, I get quite a few questions today asking about the viability of Terry Wright being the returner for the Seahawks. So there were some fans that took notice of how he played yesterday, certainly. And your more casual fans may not have noticed that with not taking it back and housing it. But still really good returns. One more name I want to throw out there real quick because we know that that pass rush is a major concern. There's a lot of question marks there. Barkevius Mingo struggled again. He did have one tackle, but another game we're really struggling to get off blocks. But I want to look at a positive here. Cassius Marsh, I thought, gave the Seahawks some pretty good snaps yesterday. Those first couple drives had a quarterback hit that ended up finishing off the Vikings' opening drive. They did blitz a little bit there, which helped out, but you're seeing the motor from him. So certainly, with Mingo struggling, Marsh seems to be doing exactly what the Seahawks hoped he would do in his return his second time with the team. Yeah, Cassius Marsh is a good football player. I mean, we all know what he is. And anybody who watched him before in Seattle and and any of his stops uh, before that or or, or since in the NFL, I mean, he is just an energizer bunny. He is he's instinctive. He's physical. um, He locates the football. um, He's he's been able to fluctuate his weight in the past to be able to play inside and outside almost with, you know, whatever the team needs um, scheme, versatile position, versatile. I mean, all those things. He just hasn't played a lot of special teams. And so that's the thing that I would kind of come back to is is Mingo does play special teams. Jacob Martin does play special special teams and they have similar agility um and, and so i think that's going to be a fascinating battle but to me cassius marsh is the better defensive lineman of the three but i don't know that that's going to be enough to to carry the day for a team that is as desperate as, as the seahawks are at the pass first position um i think a lot of it's going to come down to is, is ziggy Ansah back and how well how do the seahawks feel about him how they feel about rasheem green elgin collier and, and the rest of the guys that we know are going to make this team you may notice a recurring theme, listeners. We have brought up special teams a lot during this show, and there's a reason for that. It's it's a very important phase of the game, even with some of the rule changes impacting kickoff returns, punt returns, things like that. It's still an extremely important aspect of the game, and, and the Seahawks certainly prioritize that. You can see that with the players they drafted, the players they signed in free agency this spring. So that is going to be a huge factor that decides who makes certain spots on this team, who's on that 53-man roster. It's going to come down on a lot of those positions. Who are the better special teams players? Who can offer more to the football team overall? Anyway, make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, you can contact me, LockedSeahawks at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast platform is by visiting our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up tomorrow, it's Throwback Tuesday. We'll be discussing one of Rob's favorite players from an earlier era, plus much more insight from Sunday's game in Minnesota. Enjoy your evening. Go Hawks!